Welcome to the 70th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. And I'm Jack Neely. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about our favorite talks and events of Monodrama PDX 2019. As promised, we are circling back to kind of our recap and our review of our favorite pieces of the conference we were just at. Um, a number of our listeners were there, and we thought it would be really good to spend a little bit of time calling out the kind of the highlights of the things we really liked, both in terms of the talks and in terms of kind of the other events and the other things that we saw. So I'm going to start with my my top pick, which I'm kind of cheating in this top pick, in that it was the opening, the keynote, I guess, presentation, um, John Allspaw's Taking Human Performance Seriously in Software. Um, we're going to stick a link into the show notes for each of these as we go. You realize that the keynote is supposed to be like one of the better talks, right, Brendan? I do realize that, but this the subject matter he was covering really spoke to me. He is a good speaker, and he was covering stuff that is very near and dear to my heart. Indeed. A lot of it was looking at the fundamental aspects that we are not cogs in a machine, when we come to a problem, we bring years of experience and understanding and nuance that it takes time and dedication to build up to. And there is one level at which we should all be cross-training and getting everybody else on the team better able to handle kind of any aspect of the system. But there are times when you really need to bring in an expert or you need to have somebody who's firefighting who really understands the deep fundamentals of what you're talking about. And there is no real quantifiable way to make up for that in, in kind of a run book or a playbook or a, a, guide, a guideline or documentation. Now, don't get me wrong. The documentation's really important, but it's also used by people. People have built the system. People are operating the system. People are trying to recover the system. And the human side of it is hugely important. So it was a it was a very powerful talk to me in terms of walking through some of the reasons and the practical examples of why it's so important. John was able, really in one of the first or very few times that I've seen in my experience, was able to codify what experience is, what experience brings to the table, versus what you can easily document and basic troubleshooting steps and the basic things you, you train up the rest of your team for to, to handle on call and day-to-day -day operations. He spent time showing and explaining why you simply can't document experience. You simply can't document how someone with 20 years of experience on the job has a better mental understanding and mental map of how parts connect and affect each other versus someone who has less experience and is is reading even very complete and very well thought out documentation. I'm not sure if it, it was him re referencing it or somebody else during the week referencing it. But there was a callback to last year's presentation where somebody was referring to the fact that they were able to, they were watching somebody else work on an operations team. They're watching, some, watching somebody else debug a problem. And from the outside perspective, it looks like you're just banging on a terminal for five minutes. And they say, ah, oh, I found it. And it's like, what, what, what did you do? Like, how did you get from point A to point B? And 
part of that is very valuable to have documented or or explained but some of it's not documentable the the mental leaps of intuition that you have when you know a system like once you really understand how well my example of i always go to is elastic search works you can look at a set of problems and very quickly deduce where in the system the problem is if you've used it long enough and coming from the outside that is a black box that is a this is a big pile of mystery what's going on here and discounting that is dangerous i can explain the path i took looking at clues diagnosing a problem to get to a solution but that specific path i mean i can even document that specific path after the case but is that specific path helpful in others debugging a problem because they're not going to debug the same problem it's going to be something different yeah the next time through the path will be different the 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 clues along the road that you're you're following to get to the place you're trying to go won't ever be the exact same recipe you you can't build a a playbook so that recipe isn't a a run book for diagnosing elk yeah it's a recipe for fixing this particular problem but jack how many times have you had the exact same problem happen exclusively so what's the definition of insanity well there is that <laughs> what was your top top talk pick i'm really appreciate and really enjoy hard technical talks it's the more i learn about myself the more i realize that i'm a tech guy i will probably always be best as a tech guy i hope maybe and so it's a technical talks that really that i'm attracted to that i find super interesting and I had, um, as I've mentioned before, been talking with Evan Chan before and after his talk at Monitorama. He works for Apple and gave a really interesting talk about how to handle rich histograms at scale uh, coming from a Prometheus ecosystem. He has he is the author of uh, a time series database called PhiloDB. Uh, we're going to stick a link to that in our show notes and where his slides are. And... One of the technical themes of the conference is is that Prometheus is a really awesome tool. We all use it instinctively. We understand it well. It's a common tool in our toolkit. But it's super weak with its histograms and doing uh, percentile, quantile stuff on top of those. And how, what tricks can we, can we perform to try to get better histogram data in and out of Prometheus? And he and Evan had some math. He had some interesting uh, improvements that can be made to Prometheus's histogram model. He had some real testing in PhiloDB. And yeah, there were moments I was sitting on the edge of my seat watching some of that, watching some of that, and the data structures scroll by. Yeah, it was it was crazy to watch him take one of the problems that we've been having with Prometheus that I think anybody has with Prometheus, especially when people aren't, aren't really thinking about cardinality correctly and saying, yeah, basically the cardinality problems don't go away no matter what you do. So he was approaching it in a slightly different way and he was flattening out a lot of the really dangerous explosions you get from having um, lots of time series to get your, your quantile estimations correct. And Watching him talk through it was really amazing. I I was scribbling notes madly to myself while I was I was watching this talk and a couple of the others because there was a lot of 
good assumptions that people have made that turn out later to be either flawed or weaker than you'd think in, in practice. And he was walking through how you can, if you're, if you're fixing that part of the system and you're making, say, histograms of first-class citizen of your time series database, you can flatten out some of these problems completely. And you go from having literally billions of time series to, what, hundreds of thousands? Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's... <laughs> and the, the tech to apply here isn't, isn't that difficult. It's not that, un, that misunderstood. These are things that we could apply to Prometheus if we all kind of you know, sat down and agreed to things. One of the really interesting uh, tidbits that he let go was he was showing you know, how many buckets you need in your histogram to have quantile estimations of a given accuracy. And that basically, the a histogram that a normal developer, a normal person would create in their code for Prometheus probably produces uh, quantile estimations that are off by 100% or more. And I dug through some of the uh, some of the blog posts that I did a couple of years back when I was first sort of digging into this problem with Prometheus. And I had a couple of, of interesting examples, some contrived, some not. And yeah, the sort of example I had in my own blog post of what can really go wrong with these histograms had an error of like 230 some percent. Which is crazy, especially when you're relying on these to debug operational problems and you're assuming they're correct. It reminds it's me of kind all of the, the whole point, right? Well, it reminds me of the the early graphite stuff where people would start using the tool and not think about the periodicity or the recording window or the fact that it bucketed into one minute time slices or not hold the averaging functions correctly and have data that looked good. Like the graphs looked really awesome, but they were wrong. They didn't really represent anything. And so when you're making decisions about either capacity planning or resiliency or you're, you're firefighting with bad data, it really hurts you. So it was really cool to watch Evan talk through some of those pieces of how he made it better. Unfortunately, there isn't a video link for his talk that I see posted anywhere. If it comes up, we will amend this and, and post it. Um, but his slide deck is definitely linked in the show notes. Similarly, my second favorite talk has to be Andrew, Andrew Newdigate's Practical Anomaly Detection with Prometheus, where he walks through normal distributions, and that is a, an important disclaimer in the beginning. He walks through using normal distributions to do anomaly detection in Prometheus. And if you've never dealt with the math behind standard deviations and normal distributions of data, this is a really interesting talk to watch. Um, it doesn't cover all the cases. It doesn't cover multimodal. It doesn't cover some of the other pieces that would be handy. But it gives you a way of starting to think about and look at how do I not set thresholds? How do I let previous data dictate future alarms um his talk was really really good and he stood up at first and sort of said you know i'm not a statistician these are my experiences xyz and so i was not expecting a really sort of statistically rigorous talk with prometheus and it really was he showed the statistical models and how to use them and what they work well for and what they really don't. And 
he had all the right information, all the right caveats uh, to use this technique well and get good data out of it. So I was really impressed with the, the statistical rigor of this talk. For me, it was one of the talks that, much like um, Evan Chen's, it also was pushing me while I was listening. My brain was being pushed into other areas in terms of, okay, how, how do I do hard and soft quota limiting with this based on, on modeling the incoming data with some simple mathematical expressions? And so while I was listening, I was also thinking, okay, so how do I apply this to work and how do I, how do I solve these other problems that I didn't even think I could really solve correctly and it was opening the doors. And that is honestly my favorite thing about this conference, that it pushes me mentally to thinking about the technology I already have, the skills I already have, the tools and the team members I already work with. How do I solve problems that I either didn't think I could solve or I didn't even realize they were problems and dig into them more? Um, it's a great talk. I really recommend it. It really itches the the scratch I have about using and understanding mathematics in our jobs as IT professionals. Uh, here, especially in the States, I really don't like a lot of the way that math is taught, especially when we went through uh, primary and and higher education. Oh, yeah. It was just kind of taught as, you know, an abstract topic. And so how do we, as professionals in the real world, solving practical problems, take that abstract topic that we all learned and couldn't really relate to and well relate it and some talks like this that really bring in you know this is how you use what you talked about in this bad statistics class that you had to take in college and actually apply it and get good data out of it and really push people along the way of you can use these tools to model your data and get really good insights out of it um, that's really far along the way to, to being a good data scientist. And so many people just won't touch or won't deal with math. And and I went into my career working with computers, frankly, disappointed that I wasn't using a lot of math. <laughs> that has always bothered you. <sighs> it's one of my things. I don't know. Go on, Brendan. And that was that was the the summary for me on that. I just I was really happy with the um the talk. It made me think again about Holt Winter's forecast detection that I've never gotten to work quite right in Prometheus. I've never kind of gotten my head wrapped around how that model works and I kind of I admit I haven't to... tried too hard with the Holt Winter stuff on Prometheus because in Graphite you shove like 2 weeks of data into the model and then use it to forecast, you knew, like, 6 or 24 hours out. And with Prometheus, those start to get pretty expensive. Topic for another episode. Yeah, I would I would love to get, um, either do the research on it or bring a guest on to, to kind of school us on how do we use Holt Winters and Prometheus? How do we get that working correctly? And so if you're out there listening and you want to, to join us and talk about that, please let me know. So another favorite talk I had was... David Cavalera uh, talking about BPF in Linux. Oh, and I used to know what BPF stood for. Maybe I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, effectively, this is D-Trace for Linux, and the Linux folks have been working on this for a while. It's definitely not D-Trace, don't get them confused, but it's sort of the open source version of, of that bit of technology where you can write a bit of object code 
that's, you know, whatever programming you deem to write, hook it in the kernel space and collect information that way. One of the things that I have always been super fascinated about free advertisement Circonus, uh, the folks at Circonus, is that they use their product to to visualize and take statistics of disk I.O. And they're taking operation each individual disk operation, shoving it into a histogram and building statistical models off of that data. And, well, that's a lot of high-velocity data that in Linux is hard to get. And it would be the BPF um, kernel tools that you would use to, to hook into the kernel to, to pull out that data and send it into a stream that could be processed by a whatever your TSDB of choice is. Um, and he showed that you don't have to be a C expert. Um, he showed there are easy tools about building flame graphs and on-CPU graphs versus off-CPU graphs and was was really another talk of opening your eyes to, to showing you what you can do with Linux with these new tools. I have to admit that I missed about a third of this talk. I had gone up to the the quiet room or the whatever room on the third floor thinking that I would be able to use my laptop a little bit and not feel like quite such a an idiot having it open in the the auditorium and while I could hear his talk perfectly the the light that was reflecting in the room was obscuring the screen so after a while I gave up on it and went back downstairs but in that process I missed I missed some of the talk and I I feel like I I need to go back and rewatch it for a second time I I, I watched it again as soon as the talks were posted and I enjoyed it, but I, it's not the same to me watching the video as it is being there in person. Oh, yeah. It reminded me a lot of the the initial revelations that Brendan Gregg was giving us when he was working for Sun um, with the Fishwork stuff, when he was developing the D-Trace stuff originally with the rest there of that team. There are definitely some similarities there, yes. Well, in uh, fact, uh, he used some of his code, I believe. Yeah, and I think a lot of the, the kind of the fundamentals of this style of visualization came out of either the team he was working on or out of himself. And it was, it's been a huge change in how we look at some of these problems. The idea that the code is fast enough and cheap enough in terms of resources that you actually can instrument, say, every disk op, or you can instrument latencies across every disk member in a huge data set, or you can do all these other crazy things and watch the kernel actually walk through the processes record it and then not kill yourself in terms of having that instrumented so your your instrumentation code doesn't cause the program to run half at half speed there's there's always a performance hit but it's really tiny with dtracing with bpf so it's one of those tools that once you get when you get really serious into the engineering side of this having that tool in your tool toolbox is super handy and again, like Jack, you mentioned a minute ago, you don't have to be a CX, you don't, you don't have to go into, into assembly on this. You can relatively easily get started on it and start walking through and understanding more and more about what's going on inside your application and where your performance problems are. And that can be instrumental into debugging kind of all the things. All right, what's next? I do a lot with logging. I do a really lot with logging. And I've been hearing a lot recently about the Grafana Loki project, and I didn't really get it. So I'd, I'd read I've their... not been paying attention to it either. Well, I read the initial blurb on Hacker News when it came out, and I was like, okay, that looks interesting, but they don't, it doesn't do full text. I'm not sure where it fits, and I, I kind of forgot about it in my 
in my craziness of work. I know people have asked me about it, and I've been kind of stumbling to figure out exactly what it is. So if you're in that position, um, Tom Wilkie did a talk called Grafana Loki. It's like Prometheus, but for logs. And he was really cheerful, really good at explaining stuff. He got up and he started kind of walking through the how and the why of Loki and why you would use it instead of using something like Elasticsearch or Splunk or one of the how other... How it interfaces with Prometheus and what you get out of that that that, that shared label space. Yeah, and the, the kind of the two-minute take-home of this is they use the same code path and the same tooling and the label sets that Prometheus itself uses. So when you're correlating an event to a metric, it's really easy because the same set of code is generating the same labels and the same kind of nomenclature on both sides. So you can flip back and forth without having to go say, okay, well, I was I was in this tool and I... I copy out my, my my string ID and I paste it over here and then I take that and I go into the next into the third tool into the fourth tool and, the, and all the way down the stack. The idea is you can start collapsing these together and so you're looking at one, you're looking at the event, or sorry, you're, you're looking at a, a metric graph of something. You you pick a you pick a spot on the, on the graph and you say show me the events from that time period, and they just show up, and it doesn't do all of the things, but it does a lot of them. So it isn't designed for crazy analytics or taking you know substring matches of, of various pieces of your message field and trying to pull out um ip addresses or other ssh fail conditions so you can build a, a a threat analysis pattern over the last two weeks of something yeah if you're trying to analyze your logs and build some accurate uh quantiles or percentiles for your http data and compare that to your prometheus graphs loki's not the tool for that but as far as figuring out hey, my uh, percentile shot through the roof at this point in time, show me the logs of what was happening at that point in time from that application, from that very instance, it's magic. And because it's not doing an inverted index on disk and it's not doing a bunch of the other pieces that, say, Elasticsearch does, it allows it to use to heavily use compression and take up a lot less space to, to hold the data be a lot lighter on resources. You don't need nearly as much horsepower or disk IO to handle a system. Um, it doesn't fit some of the log aggregation cases, but if you're using something like Elasticsearch and you're using it as, as grep for logs, this might be this a This is solution. grep for logs. Like, if you just want to have, like, hey, what, what matched this pattern? This might be a tool for you. So take a look at it. Um, the talk's a great place to start. It's, what, 25, 30 minutes? Yeah, it was he... really super helpful in walking through the product, what it is, what it does, why it does it, and loading that into my mental space of, you know, what problem set does this solve and where does it fit in to your visibility stack? And because it's part of the Grafana project and they're they're pulling off of the Prometheus project directly in terms of the code paths... It's going to be, as long as they finish it, it's going to be a really nice tool for sliding into the rest of that Grafana Prometheus kind of tool space that a lot of people are using. So it's going to, it won't take a lot of extra operational glue to kind of force in there. So take a look at the talk. We'll stick it in the show notes as well. So Brendan, you and I sponsored some meetups for the Time Series and Logjam groups at Montrama. I think they written really well. Yeah, we we met at Ten Barrel after Monday Monday afternoons talks ended, and I got to see a lot of people that I only really see in chat. 
and it was really fun kind of hang out on the rooftop there and sort of chat with people. Had some good beer, some good conversation. Yeah, again, the for me, the, the value of Monodorama comes, a lot of it comes out of the other attendees and having those conversations with them and getting kind of kicked in the head about, no, that isn't fast enough. That isn't okay. You really need to be looking at, and for me, it was log stash performance. Just, I, I got that wake up of, no, this is not okay. And the what I find really amusing is I got back from Monodorama and I started doing some performance profiling of our log stash instances. And we run a lot of them to, to ingest the, the pool we have. And I realized that I had made a fundamental mistake way, way back that I had never gone back and reassessed and that I only had a single threaded Kafka worker for the inputs on them. And that's not good. So I had a bunch of idle CPU cores and a bunch of other things going on that I could get around. And I cut the size of our log stash fleet in half based on a couple of conversations with people at the beer meetup. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. That paid I mean, for the trip. Yeah, I mean, that's real money. That's that's real actual money that we, we pulled out of the out of the spend every month. And my boss was super happy that I was able to do that. And it's one of those things that honestly I probably should have caught earlier. But when you're building a complicated system, you you lose sight of some of those fundamental assumptions because it's been working and it keeps on working. And you don't go back and reassess those things. And having somebody who doesn't know your setup but is really bright say, um, that's not okay. You you need to reevaluate that. Really one of my big takeaways from Montrama this year in our wheelhouse of metrics and monitoring is that a lot of the tools that we have, even a lot of the vendor uh, software as a service tools that we have access to today are really, really pretty capable and powerful tools. I think we're really at a problem where we're at a spot where the tools aren't the problem. And I don't know how much of my, my career I've spent trying to improve the tools or get us onto another tool or somehow fix the toolage to make a better make a better widget. But I really got the feeling that nowadays our tools really aren't the problem. We're really working against how do we simplify so that users have a, a lower cognitive burden of how they use these tools. How do we build and maintain better social and cultural patterns and workflows in our places of work where we use these tools and, and still want to be happy at night. Yeah, the shift from, say, RRD tool to Graphite originally was a groundswell. It was a huge movement from from one set of tools to another. And moving from Graphite to Prometheus on the back end is huge, but for an end user who's just using a visualization tool like Grafana, it's not that much different. I mean, it's different and it's better and it's more powerful and but it still pulls up the graphs and they're still pretty in a way that ROD tool is never flexible. And the problem reminds me of when we were kids, The you're trying to do a research paper like in middle school. The problem was finding information. You go to the library and you pull the encyclopedia and whatever else and you go through the eight books they had in the library and then that was it. And now the problem that kids have watching friends of mine's kids go through this is there's too much information. It's information literacy. It's how do you distill all of the incoming down to a usable set of data. And similarly, these tools, like we have, 
we now have a lot of really capable tools. Now it's how do I understand and use a small set of those tools instead of trying to be a master of every one of them? Because there is too much. There's Our metric systems, our telemetry systems, our logging systems, all of these things generate copious amounts of data. And there's no way you can look through all of it. So how do you use the correct tool to pull the correct set of data out in a way that is performant and usable and accurate? And that is that is a challenge. And this, again, yeah, this conference makes you think about all of those pieces. On a less serious note, I'm also happy that there were no underground fires this year. There were no mudslides keeping people from taking the train in. There was no weather blocking the airports. I mean, I enjoyed the hot conference failover, but... It's kind of no nice to be conference failover this year. I know. Yeah, it's kind of nice to be in the same place the whole week. Yeah, it was kind of awesome that way. The weather was good. Like every, everything was coming up. Jason runs a good conference, even managing the weather. I, I, I have to figure out how he does that. Powell Books is just freaking awesome. And I also wanted to thank all of you listeners who have been, who either talked to us at the show and mentioned that you you listen, or have just been listening and didn't make it to the show either way. Our listenership is dramatically up in the last year. We were looking at the year ago metrics a couple days ago, and we really appreciate it, guys. It's fun. It's fun to actually hear from our users. And yeah, we enjoy that, and we would love to hear from more. So if you have ideas about things you'd like us to talk about, we would love to hear it. We would love to get some feedback about directions you want us to go. We also would just appreciate you sharing the podcast with your, your friends and your coworkers and people you think would be a suitable audience for it. Um, one of the ways to do that, of course, is to rate the show and either, well, whatever Apple's calling their podcast stuff these days or overcast or mentioning us on Twitter. We would always appreciate new listeners and feedback on things that either we fumbled or we, we could have spoken better about or more clearly about. We, we like that feedback. So leave a comment on the website at operations.fm. Send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm, or use that oper- at operations.fm on Twitter. And that wraps it up for the 70th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. And I'm Jack Neely. Thanks, and good night. Oh my god, was that 70 episodes? That was.